and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 104 of the Fate of Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm Among the Woman. This week we begin the campaign into Dungeons and Dragons, Honour Among Thieves and I also sit down with star Sophia Lillis. We also give our verdict on Tetris and take a look at God's creatures. Plus in our hot take we have a conversation about the redeeming of problematic men in the film industry. Uh, before we get into that, uh, how's everyone doing? Mandalorian, we're all up to date. Mm-hmm. Certainly for Star Wars Rebels viewers. I got very excited this week. Welcome to live action, Zeb. Uh, and it's voiced by the guy who does the voice in the uh, animated show, Steve Blum, who's a legendary voice actor. He's been doing the thing for years. Uh, so that was really, really cool. They're setting the table for Ahsoka in a really cool way. Ahsoka... Uh, is the next sort of live-action Star Wars show we're going to get. And in many ways, it's a sequel to Star Wars Rebels. If you have not seen Star Wars Rebels, you should get on that. It's a really, really good show. Um, mm. And I feel like with a Star Wars celebration just around the corner, um, which is very, very exciting, they're going to announce some big things to do with that show, including who will be playing Grand Admiral Thrawn in live-action. Uh, which is very exciting. My money is on Lars Mikkelsen, who voiced the character in the animated show. Uh, so yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. We we were just discussing before we came on about like um, when it's good to have the voice actors in live action when it isn't. Mm. And as much as Ashley Eckhart? Eckstein. Eckstein. Eckstein was like, did the Ahsoka in the thing. It was really good to get Rosario Dawson because I think it's a different muscle. Mm-hmm. And um, But having Stephen do Zeb, for that brief thing. I love how it's like live action, still clearly CGI. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on Thrawn. I'm really excited to see that. But also, who's um, what's the character? Um, who's been cast? An Iranian actor was cast as... Ezra. Um, Ezra. Yeah, which is cool. Mm. Which I'm quite happy about. Yeah, yeah. that's Because he's like MIA at the moment, right? Correct, mm. correct. See, Clarice, you say this, but I have to call you out here because Clarice, the biggest Star Wars fan <laughs> among us, has not seen Star Wars oh, Rebels. I'm sorry I haven't seen the cartoons for children. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. That's so like somebody else I, I love, know. I, I love just... Clarice. I love that Clarice says that after showing off her pet, like Pedro <laughs> action figure from Mandalorian. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, this, this is, is oh, a collector's item. <laughs> then why is it out of the box, Clarice? Because <laughs> I also bought Kira and I wanted them to hold hands and be friends. <laughs> <laughs> No, but um, I will say I will say this just in defense of Clarice. Mm. There are a ridiculous amount of episodes and we have to do so much stuff. So actually just sitting down to get through them all can be quite taxing. So I, I don't mind if you've done a little sneaky little, you know, Star Wars Wikipedia <laughs> check out. Also, like, they, one of the last, I think it was the last celebration I went to, they showed us an episode of Rebels and it was 20 minutes of jetpacking. They were, mm. Dave Filoni was so excited to show it to people. <laughs> I, I have like, to say, this is an incredible yeah. episode. It was 20 minutes of jetpacking. Nothing happened. I was so upset. <laughs> I actually, I don't think they're that great, the series. I think there's, there's good episodes. There's really good, there's some really good storylines in it, but there is a lot of filler. 
like a lot of filler episodes. And I hate that. It's, it's, just, it's a specific American thing. I remember watching Grey's Anatomy and it's always like, why does it need to be 24 episodes in a series? And you have something that's like, oh, this is just like to get it out or something. It doesn't really move the plot forward or feel necessary. And it can be a little bit like cheesy in that with this is for children animated way. So personally, I don't think it's like the greatest thing, but I do like the characters and there's some really good stuff, story building there. Hannah and Clarissa, I regret to inform you that I'm invoking your Star Wars membership. If you could submit your badges uh, to the receptions on your way out, because this is ridiculous! Come on! I'm sorry. Have you seen Caravan of Courage? What's that? Yeah, the oh, no. <laughs> I'm revoking your Star Wars membership. You don't even know what Caravan of Courage is. Get out of here. <laughs> Could you care to enlighten me? What is Caravan of Courage? It's the Ewok. Well, there's two Ewoks, Ewok movies. <laughs> it's Ewok one movies? of the Ewok movies. Ewok See, movies. and they're films, and you haven't seen those. Yeah. I haven't seen them, but I'm not revoking anyone's it's Star Wars. Movie, so. Caravan of Courage. I'm pretty sure it was the first Star Wars movie I ever watched. And so when I watched actual Star Wars, I was really confused as to why the Ewoks were not the main characters. <laughs> so what's wow. going on? Who is Luke? <laughs> Where are the little teddy bears? <laughs> oh, well, okay. Should we crack on then? Because mm. we're going to get into another fantasy realm um, and I don't think any of us are, well, Clarice is, now she is, she's a convert, thanks to Stranger Things. Uh, so well, here it is. Well, I'll tell, say, say, so no, it turns out Ooh. no, but I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> Ooh, okay, before that, uh, exciting revelation to come, here's the trailer <laughs> for Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Truth be told, we helped the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're gonna fix it. So how do we pull that off? Uh... Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. You need... Oh, gotten booty teens, boots with the fur. The whole club is looking out, Albert. We hit the floor. Next thing you know, shorty got dungeons and dragons. Oh, no, among thieves. <laughs> Remix! Thanks so much. I was very excited with that one. <laughs> a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a long-lost relic, but their charming adventure goes dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. So this is directed by uh, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. It stars Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Reggae Jean Page, Justice Smith, Sophia Lillis, and Hugh Grant. Um, so before we get into our review... Um, I got to sit down with Sophia. Um, okay, just to like <laughs> preface this conversation, it was definitely our last interviews of a very long day. I think we were the, actually the last people to sit down. Um, and I, I, I don't even know kind of what was said, but we spoke for 20 minutes. So I'm hoping there's something in there. <laughs> I cannot wait to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, yeah, uh, you know what? No spoilers. <laughs> Here's the interview. Sophia, welcome to the Fade to Black podcast. Uh, this is the very first time I've spoken to you. Yeah, very, very first time. Hello. 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 What's your name? It, the name's Hannah. Oh, Hannah. Yeah. Fantastic. That's me. That's you. Um, and I've not said how much I enjoy your outfit already. <laughs> is, this, is this the intro? 
This is it. Fantastic. Is it. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a good outfit. It's pretty good. I um I feel bad. I had a stylist and everything, and I ruined their stockings and lost their shirts. So this is all. A mix of stockings are made to be ruined. I'm some sorry. Some of my own things. There you go. I love it. Okay, so this movie is it's... quite a big one. You're kind of not. You're used to this kind of genre fare, though, right? This is something that does it come easy to you? It's been a while. I've I've done interviews for a good section of my life for different things. Never got good. <laughs> like never. I think it's like a skill, and you could either you can learn. Or, or you, you can't learn. I, I haven't learned, and it's been, it's, I've given up. I you know what? You know, I know you're tired, because I think you are, I think, I was asking the genre movies, and I think we're talking about interviews, and you're like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. Did though. you say, not say interviews? I said the genre uh, <laughs> films, but I love it, because <gasps> also, oh it's hard God. to do interviews all the time. I'm so sorry. You can't take that out, can you? <laughs> Um, it's well, fun. You've had a day. It's been a long day, and you're right. Interviews are really hard when you have to kind of say the same things and to different people to try and make it enthusiastic each time. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. One hundred percent. But genre movies. Genre movies. <laughs> this was pretty new. I've done. Well, it was the closest, I guessed. Mm. But I guessed. But it doesn't. It wasn't really. I mean, one. It was horror. Two. He did a lot of practical effects as well, which was nice. But. Um, some CGI, but the only CGI thing was really the, uh, I think there was like a, a thing projector that comes mm. out and it's a clown and we scream and that's, you know, that's it. Um, so it wasn't really anything that, uh, uh, extreme as much as, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the movie that I am in, which is why we're here. <laughs> um, yes. So, I mean, they also really pushed the practical effects, but you know, there's, we're also, running away from dragons and, uh, you know, magic is coming out of people's hands and that's when, you know, you kind of have to, you know, put some special effects in there, CGI, so. So tell me a bit about that process because um, it is a fantasy world and there must be like a level of invention where it's like, okay, what am I going to do? But then also there's a lot of humanity in this so how do you like ground your performance? Like, what were you kind of? There was any exercises that you do or things that you kind of practice to kind of get yourself in the headspace and be able to be, feel like authentic and real in those moments? Oh, jeez, I would love to say yeah. I was so rigorous in that and Sense everything. memory, absolutely. <laughs> Just bringing back memories from back in the Strasbourg days. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I did a little bit of you know. I feel like also with acting in general, I'm I'm still learning, but we all, all I feel like we kind of, well, at least me, I have like a list of things that you can really do. Like, oh, I'll try to do this scene. If it doesn't work out, then maybe I need to do mm. some stupid sense memory stuff. Uh, and then that's hey, stu- so not stupid. That was Amy just, Adams does it. She oh, did it for Arrival. Good sensitive, good sense memory stuff, and mm. so I so uh, so forth, and um, um. Uh, and you know, just like what if that doesn't work, and then you have a next thing in your pocket. So you just keep pulling things out. And um, for this one, um, in order to get in the role of the character, you know, I watched animal documentaries. I've did some stunt work. I went on a what run. Animal documentaries. Every few, ah, it was just like planet Earth. 
Planet Earth, uh, clips, I guess, from, um, you know, different animal documentaries on YouTube. You like, basically watch, like, 20-minute montage of the best bits. Yeah, basically. Just <laughs> I watch a whole documentary. <laughs> animal clips. documentary highlights, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because it's the behavioral thing, so it's like, oh, just watch this one. I've got five more to yeah. think through. There yeah. you go. That is putting the time in really? for the role. Um, I was a little nervous, though, because the one thing about this character is that she's supposed to technically be an adult mm. or at least more adult than the rest because you know she's like of a tiefling race so she's mm. probably around like a hundred something years old the rest are you know in their 30s why did i like edward cullen come into my head it's like 17 how long have you been 17 <laughs> a while <laughs> like that though yeah <laughs> and um anyways <laughs> but i was also the youngest on set yeah which is a issue, um, not an issue, but you know I'm um, supposed to be one of the oldest, mm. you know. So having that, um, and also I look really young, and I'm really short, so that doesn't help. I mean, it helps getting younger roles, but um, <laughs> so it was something to think about, kind of the mentality of the, of this character and how she would act, and um, and just you know. Because she's technically not a human, so that's that's you know add a little yeah. challenge uh, there. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I worked on it and thought a lot about it and tried to. One thing I tried to do, which which I'm still learning how to do, is is, is posture. Mm. I have what's that like? Where to put, like do, this, where to put your hands <laughs> and things like that. Like just looking. I, at I guess up. so. It's just I. I apparently I actually heard about this recently. I walk. I don't do heel toe when I walk. Okay. I just kind of do either toe heel or just kind of just let it just. <laughs> hey. All at once. So that's authentic. That's being real. It's it's, but it's not good for you. <laughs> I think it doesn't look that that graceful. Don't uh, tell me you get any orthopedic shoes out already. No, You're like, no, yes, no, but no. Maybe they sound so comfy. I actually took a posture class for a few weeks. Did you? What did you do? Uh, it's just a lot of. Uh, the thing is, though, I feel really bad because it was uh, it was while I was still in in high school, and I was always tired after the end of it. And the thing is, so she makes me walk around, and we talk about a different things, and like the back mm. and everything. But then she gets puts me on a table so she can like do some work with mm. just the back stuff while laying down. Every single time without fail, I just pass out. And for a good 20, 20, 30 minutes, and then I wake up and I leave. And every single time, she's like, please don't fall asleep this time. And I... Then stop doing it so good. I, and I, I just... I took... I, I think I had like over like 10, 12 lessons or something like that. And every single time, I completely passed out. Um, so but that... that be like a thing where it's like she's pe- like pe- like pressure spots. It's like you're... Pre- you know what? You're doing the combination and that's mm. causing me to... It's like the Vulcan death grip. Like, yeah. what do you expect? Yeah. Insanity is do- doing the same thing expecting yeah. different results. I feel like I'm calling her out. I, you're, you're doing great. <laughs> she's great. Keep, and your posture is great now. Up. Yeah? You look great in the film. Thank you. <laughs> um, what I think is interesting is uh, some of the dynamics between the characters in that they're both representative of like what the type of character would be within the game but also the type of players who would play it and that relationship between you and justice like simon is really interesting like i'm just you're like i just want to play the game and then he's like kind of trying on and that could be like the the deal like annoying being like the girl who's like there it's like guys just treat me like another one how is that kind of working in that space of trying to create that because it's kind of a 
romance and you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to be forced into this. So how is that working into looking it out? Um, actually, the reason I actually really like the way it was written in the script, the uh, relationship between the two of them, because it wasn't, I feel like it didn't, it wasn't like used as a tool to help them improve themselves mm-hmm. or whatever. Like I'm changing you for my love or he saves me and I'm like, oh, um, you saved me. I see you in a different light now. Mm. It's more of like a, yeah, and like you, we still talk. And then at the end, I'm like, ah, you know what? I got to know you a little bit more and maybe I'll try it again. And it's just more realistic, you know? Yeah. And it, and it doesn't, it's not force. it's not like a, a love story between the two of them and, and makes them almost like less of people because of that. I think it's just um, they're strong by themselves, but, you know, like they'll try again, you know, whatever. Maybe not. Maybe it just won't work out, and that's okay. Um, it's not really a big deal, and that's what makes it um, uh, really nice. I don't really know if that answered your question. No, it did, and I really love what you said about like <laughs> I think it's um... – because you just don't want to be like either like manic pixie dream, kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. I'll give them the, the plot for us through. But what I did like about it is that she she challenges him and says, look, you don't do it. You're like kind of mediocre and you're not doing it. It's like I'm you're clearly insecure. And it's kind of like you're the only person holding yourself back is you, which I was, I was like, and it was. But it's like I'm, I'm literally holding up a mirror to you and like you could be the best version of yourself. And I think that's what relationships should be, right? challenging and be the best for getting them to be the best version of themselves so i appreciate it <laughs> thank you i like it i think yeah. it's role models good good yes i'm glad um was there anything that you stole from set no no why were they like locking keys like give that back no it was just that you know it's like I, if i'm gonna steal something from set it's from a project i know won't have a you know a, a sequel or anything but I don't mm. know with this one this there's a potential, well, for, potential. Uh, for a sequel so I don't want to steal something they get angry and then I get back <laughs> we to need set. that back <laughs> and then I I have to I have to go I mean it's my job so um yeah maybe maybe <laughs> DD2 it feels like yeah that's enough that's enough for this franchise so <laughs> I don't need this anymore. Yeah. We've seen we've seen the Rotten Tomatoes. No, um, I suppose for you then you said the kind of ridiculous amount of like animal characters that are not only like real but also fictional. What was was there any kind of ones that you came up with like okay maybe we could have like I mean I think about Napoleon Dynamite I'm like what about a Ligra? Have you seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. Okay. You gave me like such a long pause. I was like, wait, are you? <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. But there's a bit and I was like, oh, this is Liger. It's like my favorite animal. Right, 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 right. And I was thinking about that looking at Albert and I was like, what, what would be your kind of ultimate? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Mash up. What can Go. I mash up? What can I mash up? Like a shark like a sh- cat. Shark cat. I feel like that's been done already. Maybe. Mm, I mean, it was Sharknado. That's a good one. Uh, something. What about something that can fly, and then something that can swim. Ooh. But also something that can walk. So something that can both swim and walk, and then fly, or something that can both fly Dolph and walk. Eagle. There we are. That's cool. <laughs> we did it. That was quick. <laughs> I used to be a member of the Animal Action Club. Oh, yeah. So. All right. I know my animals. Yes, you there do. Um, I suppose doing something like this, being in this kind of world, how does it feel 
Yeah, they're so big. There's so much going on. Um, you know, is there, do, when you kind of navigate more like indie spaces, does it feel like different? Is there a different kind of way you approach stuff? Yeah, I mean, every single project's different and every single project focuses on something different. And I think like with Dungeons and Dragons, it's more of like, think on your feet, um, very action-y. So the pace is different. Um, the characters are different. Everything is different. Um, what you focus on is what makes this, you know, uh, have a different feeling than, you know, other films. And I feel like some other films are slower and take a longer time and it's pace, it's heartbeat is slower practically. It goes in a different time. Um, so it, like, uh, I'm, I'm used to more of the indie stuff, um, you know, slower pace stuff, you know, mostly, you know, uh, thinking about something, going to do it, then saying the line, <laughs> and then thinking about it some more. Kind of the purpose like, of this podcast is if you're just like tilted your head slow motion to the side. <laughs> The beaches our arms out. I forgot this was a podcast. This is not being. I'm going to film it, but like, hey, <laughs> I'll save that for cuts on social. Mm. But no, sorry, I interrupted you. No, don't, don't, don't apologize. Um, so it's like you know, it, which is actually something I needed to learn how to do in this this movie. Was, I think I, I think I've sort of gotten it down a mm. little bit more now. But uh, um, it's like two different, like a toolkit. You kind of need to like, yeah, okay, this is what I need to be in the zone for this. This is what I need for an indie thing, and like recognizing that I don't know, like right. some things you don't need, and working those working those out, mm-hmm. and trial and error, right? Prioritize just like certain things um, for different projects. Um, yeah, <laughs> I suppose now you're like so you've done so much, and you're so young, young. young. Oh, I. Um, but yeah. what do you want? Where do you want? What? What's? I suppose there's no. I mean, it's arbitrary, isn't it? It's like creating ideals. But do you have an idea in mind that what you want to do, things that you want to do? Uh, I I want to do more theater. Mm. I did a theater thing uh, last year, um, uh, end of last year uh, in DC, which was uh, an experience. You know, I was nervous because I feel like um, I feel like because it's kind of a different. I've always thought like, oh, it's a different type of acting entirely, and people that's what people say, and I don't really know how to do it, and. Um, uh, what is it going to be like? Because I, 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 I'm not going to have like million, not million, but like like a, a dozens of takes to do this one thing. I yeah. have one take. I have to memorize every single thing, which I usually do anyways. But it's like I, I don't want to mess up because I don't want to improvise just something else, you know, entirely. So I, I got a little nervous. Um, and then I did it. And it was a smaller, it was a smaller theater, so it wasn't so hard. But um, um, and it's not, it's not really actually that different I always thought it was different but it's really more of like it's really more like um it's like it's like accents it's like you you Mm. you're growing up in this certain area so you know how to do this certain type of thing um and uh you speak in a certain way and people from you know it's like living in New York and living in Texas you know they're gonna have a different accent but you're still speaking the same language. You're still going to understand each other. And, um, Do you and find it certainly when you're having to, because it's you have to be slightly more expressive on theatre because you're seeing the whole body rather than films, a little you bit. Have to you don't have to be more expressive. I mean, I mean, it really depends. I think you you probably have to move a little bit more. You have to um, stay like facing the stage. You have to. It's more blocking than you yeah. would expect. 
Um, but with a role that I played, I just sat down on the chair right. for two I, hours. <laughs> so it was fantastic. That's a oh God, yeah, that's I know. dream, isn't it? Like, we're not just sitting down here. This is great. My job is great. Yeah, sit down. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Say my line and... Uh, you have to think about where you're going to stand next. But did your bum get numb, though? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And you have to, like, kind of, Just kind of, like, pretend to (laughs) fidget. But do you think with theatre, in a way that when you do a... I suppose when you do a TV show or a film, you're a very small part in it. Like, you come in at a certain point, it's already been this development process, and then the film gets made, and you have no idea what that film's going to look at, what tape they're going to use. Whereas with a stage show, it's like, you get to have more autonomy. Like, you're the director, in a way, of yourself. I mean, yeah, because you. I also didn't know this about theater is that you 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 work on it. You you do the rehearsals, everything. The director is there, and then once you do your thing for like a week or so, the director just leaves. Just bye, and then you're still there, and you're still doing it. And you're like, what 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 now? Like, how are you gonna know what to do? I guess it's up to me, and I feel weird changing it because that's the way. The director wants me to do right, but then slowly, as you do it for, it's kind of like interviews too. It's mm-hmm. like you do it so much that slowly start to change your answers. You slowly start to change your acting, and um, and then one day it's like completely different from what you did originally. Not completely. You're not gonna like throw the other actors yeah. off, but um, it does evolve a bit yeah. um, over time, and it's it's kind of scary. But kind of fun and exciting. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Would you ever want to direct yourself? Mm. <laughs> well, let's see. I don't know. I want to get better at acting first before. <laughs> You're going to direct Dungeons and Dragons 2. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So soon? <laughs> All right. Youngest youngest director of a uh, franchise film ever. I could never. I think the two Johns did such a good job with this 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 movie because I feel like they love this movie so much. And they, and they, they made a movie that I feel like is really hard to do uh, for all audiences, like every single audience, is, it, it, and anyone can see this movie, and and it's you you don't you wouldn't think that would be that hard, but you know it's it's you know people who play Dungeons and Dragons will know certain things, and people who don't know Dungeons and Dragons, it's you have to have it you know it be in the D and D world, but not um, uh, have certain like jokes be closed off to other people, so you have to tell jokes that would be funny. First, uh, in a certain way, for the people who don't play Dozen of Dragons, and funny to people who do play Dozen of Dragons and things like that, and it also has to be, you know, open to, you know, like no matter the age, you know, as well. So it has to be very universal, like a family movie, but also movie for adults, and also movie just for kids, and you know, and it's 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 it's, but they did a really good job, and they made it super funny. And uh, good on them, I yeah. guess. And you were doing Dungeons & Dragons before it was cool. So mm. there we go. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Mm. Okay. Uh, so I think the best place to begin this, who was a big Dungeons & Dragons fan going into this? Could it be you, Clarice Lockley? Okay, so the thing is, <laughs> clarifying my history with Dungeons & Dragons, so the first time I played actual Dungeons and Dragons, the role playing game was during lockdown. So it was before mm. the most recent Stranger Things came out. Um, but I it it was like you know how everyone was doing stuff over lockdown. 
<laughs> instead of learning a language, learning how to knit, uh, developing any kind of practical skill, I got really into. Oh, mine was tie dyeing t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, instead of doing anything of worth, <laughs> I was like, thank you, thank you so much for actually making me feel better about. Because <laughs> yeah, that's like a handicraft. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm shitting on D and D. It's really fun. <laughs> um, but I got really into that. But I realized watching this movie, because they reference Baldur's Gate, um, which I was like, that's so weird, because that was a computer game that I was obsessed with as a child. And I Googled afterwards, and it is, in fact, a Dungeons & Dragons video game. <laughs> so I have been actually into D&D since I was like, how old was I, like 10? Because <laughs> they have one of the characters was called Minsk. And he was like a bald, like really big, like strong. I think he was a barbarian type, but he mm. had a little hamster with him called Boo, who was his best friend. And mm-hmm. the hamster would kill people. And the hamster was also maybe from outer space. Um, oh. <laughs> and whenever I hear Minks, I think that's where Phoebe's love goes to, gets sent to in Friends. Like, <laughs> also, you've got to go yeah. to the research thing in Minks. <laughs> it's the same with the C at the end. Because that's with a mm. K, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so I have a long, I have a long history with D and D. I do not have a long history with D and D, but I think part of the reason why this movie is so impressive is that, from what I've heard, there's a lot of D and D nods and Easter eggs for people who are fans. But people, for people who aren't, it's still a really fun ride, at least it was for me, um, with characters who really gel and play off each other very, very well. Hannah, what was your D and D? sort of status going into this and did you have a good time um i never played dnd highly aware of it um mm-hmm. um so no i yeah that's about it on that front <laughs> um i did have a good time i will say this though um i what i did recognize mm-hmm. in that um for as much as it obviously was very trying to working so hard to get all those D&D references, of course, and make it so basically fans of the game and play, play it could re- make it recognisable. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that led to um, it feeling quite baggy um, as a story. Like they've got all these side missions and quests and plan A, plan B, but all this type of thing. And I often felt that um, just kind of went nowhere. It was like, let's just do this and find this like object. And then it doesn't really amount to anything. And it's like plan C. And I don't know if that makes it... Um, it doesn't add the the fluidity and it kind of slows the pace a little bit of it of the story so definitely in the middle I felt a bit like okay I would rather have a bit more um character backstory on things and learn a bit more about even like the big bad Safina Mm -hmm. those little situations um but don't get me wrong they were very um wittily delivered these Mm -hmm. moments and I think that's what really kind of was the strength for me was um it was I mean look it's kind of a Marvel movie right it's basically yeah. Guardians, but Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot of MacGuffin searching. Let's find the thingamabob and the what's it in the wherever it is. Um, uh, when you have people like Reggae John Page to deliver the lines, and Reggae is one of my standouts in this film <laughs> as a paladin who is essentially perfect uh, and replies <laughs> very well. They, they, they lead into the comedy of that very, very well. Then it makes this a really, really fun ride. And, you know, Hannah, you bring up Marvel. Cleese, I want to come to you because in the last week's pod, you mentioned Dungeons and Dragons in relation to Marvel and how it might do, considering 
the sort of genre mix up is fantasy, but there are some mm. superhero stylings here. I I disagree. I didn't see any. I, what I liked about this movie is that it didn't feel like a Marvel movie. Um, mm. That's the thing that was so nice and like refreshing about it is mm-hmm. that I had sort of assumed that it would try to copy the blueprint by doing like really like on the nose pop culture references and like when they did the big fight it would be soundtrack to like iron maiden (laughs) like they like i liked that this movie did it like there was no hint of that cynicism or of that sort of like sarcasm to it it was the humor was very sincere very goofy uh almost i think it reminded me of a little bit of Princess Bride, the Princess Bride, some of the humor in that. There's the whole sequence where they go to <laughs> a graveyard and they're like bringing these corpses back to life to ask them questions. And there's like these, this really specific set of rules with the corpses and they keep fucking up and it's really funny. <laughs> but it's like, I really like that sort of humor. It's like really um, sincere and very embedded within the fantasy world. And I think there's a really big difference that um the D game has always understood that like you can be goofy and still invested in the world and you don't have to like take the piss out of the concept which i think if the film had been more marvel-esque it would have done that a lot more there would have been a lot like so that happened <laughs> <laughs> i liked that nobody said that nobody said so that happened <laughs> oh he's right you know what me, that, i think <laughs> No, but I feel like there has moments. There has moments like that, and there is a thing about there is sarcasm in it because there's literally a line where it says something like sarcasm is the lowest for is reflects. I don't know. Reggie yeah, Jean did one of his things. That's because like that character is like that as opposed but, to the movie being. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, but I also feel like this is very the guy who the producer of it has been producing on Marvel since Iron Man. He produced Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pine is basically Star Lord, right? It's got the dead mother syndrome of that going on there. You've got you've got Reggae Jean doing a version of like Drax the Destroyer. I'd say Doric is quite like a like a Nebula Gamora type of character. You know what I mean? There's that sort of thing. I'm not saying it's like exactly an exact same humor. There's things on it, but certainly the way it functions and the way the kind of knowing tomfoolery. Like there is a sense of it's not just um, yeah. It knows it's not, it kind of knows it's in this fantasy realm and kind of does you know there's things like bits and bobs there's a python-esque-ness to it but there's also kind of like knowingness that rather than making it like like a lord of the rings like fantasy world it's like they have very much like our world humor do you get what i mean not like human what the humor what it would be within that fantasy world i mean humor so of course it's not gonna have pop culture references because it's not based in a world that's like in here right so I didn't expect that but I do think that and I also you know even speaking to the directors they were like they're trying to get people who like Marvel to watch film plus there is literally a Marvel reference at the very end where Albert smashes something (laughs) which is a carbon copy from Avengers Assemble so (laughs) I thought that was more of a like a and d well because I think like everything you talk about that's that was always there and D&D is like a mixture and you see it as well there's like a whole branch of fantasy that came out of Dungeons and Dragons like Elder Scrolls is very much like this that's yeah I don't believe that like Marvel invented this way of doing it but certainly when it comes to the films of what they're trying to do I definitely feel like they were they were actively trying to how do we engage and they kind of use a similar formula 
about doing things like that in this one that for me I recognize and also literally the producer said that is a direct reference <laughs> to <laughs> Avengers Assemble so yeah, yeah. yeah I did enjoy that moment um let's talk a bit about the action and the world building um you know I think after last week's John Wick chapter four any any action is a, a come down from that nirvana <laughs> but i still had a really really good time with the action here um there's a nice balance between practical and cgi work that feels very evident and when it comes down to some of the hand-to-hand sword fights it feels like there's not many cuts you can track enough sort of where what's happening and sort of the impact of the blows etc which i enjoyed uh Clarice, what did you think action-wise of this film yeah i really enjoyed the I mean, obviously there's heavy CGI in it, but you can also really tell that they... You mean that's not real? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. (laughs) Like, There's even a scene where Doric, there's a great chase sequence where Doric, so she's like a shape-shifting thing. um, And she's changing into all these animals and she's running through the city. And like, I can see this rig that they set up for like a big water tank to to fall over. And Mm. you could tell it was all practical. And I was like, that's really nice because I feel like we're so used to even like background... Uh, explosions and things falling over being CGI now. I like the fact that they took the time to rig that up. Uh, and I also enjoyed the puppets. Um, mm. The uh, Tabaxi, which were the little cat people, and there's a little baby cat. Mm. <laughs> it was so cute. And I just, it's really just, it just adds so much that I think just to have some practical effects in it means that it balances out the CGI work that is in it. Like, I think it's okay to have a mixture, you know? I think it's right that you said the Princess Bride reference, because I do think there's a callback to that kind of 80s fantasy stuff, like Legend, Willow. Um, You know, it had, like, Jonathan, who's, like, a... I'm not going to say any more on that, but great character. <laughs> but like having having people in prosthetics and stuff, so it makes it feel like, yeah, that seamlessness um, with it. I, I thought it was. I thought it was fun, and I think you're right, Amon, as well about the um, wide shots, not like the Liam Neeson cut cuts. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're gonna cut seven times just to show this guy jumping over a fence. Good lord! Every time I see that, did we all watch that? Did we all watch that same <laughs> that same YouTube video? <laughs> wow. Um, final thing to say before we move on. Uh, I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago after I saw it. I am now saying that Chris Pine is Hollywood's best Chris. Do we agree? Do we disagree? Final Discuss. thing. Hold on a second. I want to talk about like actors. <laughs> I loved Hugh Grant in this. <laughs> I thought he was really, really funny. Um, I thought he, um, I love that he's in his villain era. Um, I thought he, I know there's a whole sequence of like him wanting tea and the tea's too hot. And that <laughs> yeah. feels, again, that Britishness that comes through. I think Hugh did it well. Really like Jet Reggae Jean. Um, I think it's nice for him to do something that's, um, where it's like, it's playing on him being like leading man hero, but also there's a kind of quirk to him. That mm-hmm. was quite, I think that was really nice to see him do a character where it wasn't just so dead straight, but in a way that's like, oh, we're doing it deadpan, but for comedic purposes. And it was really nice to see them do that. Um, I, I will say I didn't like Safina as, uh, not the actor. I didn't like the character. It felt like, uh, and again, this backstory situation, mm. I feel like she was a minion and it was like a lot of story there that kind of didn't re- really build her up. Mm-hmm bolster her as a as a big bad mm-hmm. felt like she was just so, and so yeah it felt like that classic as much as they say we were just making one movie it's like it feels like you're franchising this and that's like something that's going to come back to visit um 
But I, I don't know. I don't. I, the best Chris is Christine Baranski. <laughs> that is a fourth and unseen option that I shall allow. Um, <laughs> Chris, what say you on Hollywood Chris's and the acting in general in this film? Um, my favorite Chris is Chris Messina. And, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, I really enjoyed Chris Messina. And um, I really loved Michelle Rodriguez because I feel like um, I said this to her because I was like, mm. I'm going to compliment the fuck out of Michelle Rodriguez because mm. I've got one shot. I really mm. like, I feel like she's had such an influence in like the way that female characters, like tough female characters are written mm. because she can, she is so badass, but there's such a tenderness to her as well. And the thing with like the dead wife syndrome in this movie is like it's a bit irritating but then i really liked how her character comes in and she's sort of a parent figure without having the like tough woman becomes maternal storyline like it, we didn't have to have that weird yeah. like like they had in yeah. terminator it's like I'm yeah. learning to feel emotions like she already had that within her and I was like that's really refreshing and really nice and mm. I liked the trio of like the kid the dad and then yeah. Olga <laughs> I mean in Terminator it was reversed it was like don't have any emotions this isn't your child this is the thing to protect but you're yeah. right though because I also think that Michelle Rodriguez has not been given she's played female like the strong female character the like action babe but she's never really get been they've never done anything really much with that character except for something like fast and furious with letty even like the resident evil stuff like girl fight was like the first one that she kind of you know did it was amazing and i do think like yeah that she's she's managed to as an actor been able to give more depth that's but it's thing, not, it's like, not been her, there on the page. I think she's like single-handedly created that type, that archetype. And she said that there was like a Michelle Rodriguez archetype in Hollywood, <laughs> and like a casting type. And I think it's it's solely because she's so charming, but also like an incredible action star. Um, that yeah, that was nice to see a character that really, really suited her. Yeah. Um, and I see what I you did just... there, Hannah. Strong female character in bookstores now. Um, <laughs> uh, you said it. You said it. <laughs> I'm going to say this too. If they decide to bring Cara Dune back, Michelle Rodriguez is a pretty good choice to replace she who will not be named. Um, so, yeah. One thing I will say, Justice Smith, I really liked his performance in this, a sort of an insecure magician. Um now, I was t- talking to Clarice about this a couple of weeks ago, but the guy has range. Like, we watched him in Sharper earlier this year, and in that film, he's a lot more confident and sort of in terms of how he approaches women and all the rest of it. Here, it's, he's playing a very shy, insecure dude who's saying awkward stuff, wants to say the right thing, doesn't always say the right thing, and it felt very convincing and funny and all the rest of it, and... He's one of the best sort of young actors we have working mm. today. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm excited to see And he can see. play a guy whose dad is Pikachu, which is really hard to do <laughs> when you build it up. Yeah, he respect. had a really good storyline. Yeah. I like this, because that's some of the things in this, it's like, it was actually a good thing. Like, his thing was like, you need to get out of your own way. Yeah. <laughs> like, the only one holding you back is you. Yeah. <laughs> Deal of your issues. Yeah, yeah, it felt very relatable in that regard, actually. Um, all right, let's go to our screen stream or skip recommendation on Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Could it be the first of a franchise? I want to see a sequel. Um, 
Hannah, what say you? Yeah, I say screen. Um, I don't know about a sequel. Really? I don't, I'm, 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 I'm neither here nor there. I'm hither thither. <laughs> Clarice, what say you on sequel? Uh, screen. And yeah, I'd, the one thing I'd say, like, the cool thing about D&D is that it's not really, like, a universe in the way that, like, comics are. It's a storytelling tool. So they can just really do whatever the fuck they want if they make a sequel. And I kind of mm. like that freedom to it. And I hope that they do do that if they make more movies and just have fun with it. Because mm. it's a fun game. <laughs> Uh, speaking of games, we're going from one of the world's most popular board games to one of the world's most popular video games. It's time to talk Tetris. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I played for five minutes. I still see falling blocks in my dreams. It's poetry, art and math, all working in magical synchronicity. It's, it's the perfect game. Tetris? Tetris. 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 I don't get it. Swinging in the backyard, full of in your fast car, whistling my name. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Open up the beer and you say get over here and play a video game. All right, okay. Hi, Clarice. The spice. Love that little trill at the end, Lana. Question for the culture. Tetris. <laughs> Tetris tells the story of how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to avid players around the globe. Hank Rogers discovers Tetris in 1988 and then risks everything by traveling to the Soviet Union, where he joins forces with inventor Alexei Pajdetov to bring the game to the masses. Directed by John S. Baird and written by Noah Pink, it stars Taryn Edgerton, Toby Jones, Nikita Yefremov, Roger Allen, Anthony Boyle, and Togo Igawa. Um, I mean, do we want to do like, what's your history with Tetris? I feel like everybody's played Tetris. <laughs> I literally was obsessed with Tetris, and I got it. I got it um, with the Game Boy Color. Oh wow! And and I was so obsessed with it. And my and my, you know how nowadays where you have people who like watch people do games, mm-hmm. like play games yes. online. It's like they watch the thing. Yeah. So like my dad would literally sit down next to me and be like, "Oh yeah, get it there." And I was like, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> like, I remember like playing journeys where I'm like playing it, and then he'd also steal my Game Boy. So like for me, I have a very like very affectionate uh, long long term relationship with Tetris. You guys must have run out of battery Aww. quick. <laughs> <laughs> So Hannah, I'll ask you first then, like, I I was kind of interested in how this movie, like, depicts the reason Tetris became so popular. Do you think it successfully communicates, like, why this game? Like, why this game out of mm. any game? I think, I will say, it's, it's, um, I think that's the thing it lacks. Because it keeps saying, it, it like spends about two minutes like people aren't stop playing this game. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really get into like the why. There's a bit in the beginning where they do a bit of expedition. It's like five minutes later, I was like, this is all I could think about. And like, I'm still got seeing things in my head. And it's, and, and I, again, this is, I suppose what was interesting to see that this is the early version of it without the, like before it kind of had different things to add. Like that was quite interesting how it evolved as a game to add certain aspects of it to make it more competitive or make it feel like, you know, points, whatever. But yeah, I think they could have, 
kind of got into that it was a bit surface and it was far and it was less interested in like why people loved it but more interested in the kind of like story of how actually it became they got it out of mm-hmm. the Soviet Union mm-hmm. um, and all the intrigue and stuff behind it which I actually thought was quite fascinating mm, yeah I feel like I'll be honest, I I did not find the story particularly interesting. Mm. And I think the movie, like, is very confident in the idea that, like, this this Cold War intrigue of how do we get the game out of the Soviet Russia is, like, enough to to carry the movie, I would Mm. say, because there's not a huge amount of, like, character work. There's not a lot of, like, stuff about who these people are it's really about like the boardroom mm. meetings and the negotiations Amon I mean were you won over by that do you, did you think it was interesting enough I did think it was interesting enough um at a uh, good time with it I think some of those sequences where they are going from room to room as all these people try to negotiate a deal are edited very well and are very energetic and so that I was into it at the same time this is one of those films where it's just maybe not surprising, but the perspective it chooses to come at this story with. Another version of this is more focused on the guy who created Tetris and will then maybe get into some of the things that Hannah says this film, actually says this film lacks. Um, and that would have been in some ways more interesting than some of the corporate speak that we get here at times. Um, Mm. At the same time, it's not like I didn't like that and taking the movie for what it is. I just saw enough time with it. I I think you're right. I would actually, uh, I would actually say that Alexi, the person who invented Tetris, um, we have far more backstory and understanding of who he is and what he's been through. We learn about like his life and stuff like that. I think the problem is, is I think, it's obviously a a film that wants a classic. Let's have the white, the Western savior it. come through. Mm-hmm. And and then actually, did we learn anything about um, Hank's upbringing? You know, we know he lived in these wow. different places. We know so it's this like part we, Indonesian. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, why? Are you, so why is it? But like again, it's like no, it's one of those things where it's like I didn't. He was just kind of like the way in mm-hmm. and. I mean, I think there's also really interesting things about his life. Like, he is an interesting person, but like, because I was like, I had so many questions about him moving to Tokyo and like mm-hmm. his kids and that sort of thing, and like putting his house online and the way his like wife just agreed to everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to know what she really thinks. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's so much about it, but I think you're right. I think it would have been a far more compelling story if it was told from Alexi's point of view, especially he'd already done most of the character building work mm-hmm. to expand. Um, and then it got into kind of like, I was reading an article after I watched a film about like, okay, how much is this is true? Because there's certain moments I was like, this oh, must be yes. like, <laughs> this must be classic artistic license. Um, uh, a, like a, a, a car chase scene. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with that scene, you know, one of the things that I did like about this film is how they put some of the Tetris visuals and brought that to the film in various respects. And that's one of the scenes where at times it goes a little bit 8-bit. Um, which leads it to the sort of the the fantasy, maybe implausible nature <laughs> of what we see mm. uh, a little bit, which which does work. Uh, I, I like it, especially in the beginning of the film, where they sort of do have these like five to ten second big nets of you know level one, level two, level three, level four as the story progresses. Uh, I thought that worked well as a nice little nod to 
the story of the game that they're telling. It's it's kind of like I would like I would love to see like an Aaron Sorkin version of this mm. of this because I feel like when you look at like Social Network or like Jobs, you know, you get into like who these people are yeah. because again, the way like he kind of came up with the iPod, right? And they would get into that sort of situation and realizing he did it because he wanted. And in the end, you realize he did it for his daughter. Him trying to connect to his daughter that he's basically abandoned, like not been there for. That was a really moving situation. Mm-hmm. And like the Game Boy was like revolutionary. Like it's insane. Why are we talking about? I kind of feel like that's a movie in itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it was. I think it was trying to like add like a thriller aspect to it to kind of feel like it had to liven up the story by adding all this kind of, you know, drama. But actually there's a really intriguing story and trust your audience that they don't need all the kind of banging, banging crash of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was really interesting with like um, the Maxwells, because obviously Robert Maxwell is the far, like a corrupt businessman. Mm-hmm. He's the father of Guillaume Maxwell, right? So there was that quite interesting situation. Also, I was like, when you hear Roger Allen's voice, you're like, I know that voice. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah. Also in The Mandalorian, by the way, he's the pirate guy. With oh, the beard. Shard. He's just wearing a lot of prosthetic these days. Uh, he doesn't, <laughs> that was like, he, he doesn't look, Roger Allen looks nothing like Robert Maxwell. They've obviously done all that stuff over it. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I enjoy it. I found it in, in, informative, but it was a bit um, quite, quite light. Uh, yeah. 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 I will say, though, uh, that I did enjoy, you mentioned the Game Boy there. And in this movie, there's like a prototype version of it. And with, with that scene and with those early scenes as Taron Egerton, as Taron Egerton's character sort of uh, waxes lyrical about Tetris now made in this game is, they do nail those moments in terms of discovery and the magnitude of what we're seeing and what we're comprehending. Can you, th- this, this thing is going to change the world. You do get that sense of, uh, sort of importance in mm. those scenes, and I did enjoy that, especially for me. Like I'm, I'm a video game fan. I, of course, I played all the Game Boys. Seeing to that, all the uh, Game Boys. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did, did you play? Did you play the Game Girl though? <laughs> <laughs> Just so sexist! Oh my gosh! No, um, no, there was one, wasn't there? Didn't they bring out that? a Game Girl, and it was like pink? <laughs> really? Oh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's amazing. I had this Where's that movie? One in a Pikachu <laughs> backpack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, like, I I did enjoy uh, those moments, and they felt felt like, felt like they nailed the gravity of what they were discovering for the first time. Yeah, it, it does. So I circling back to something that you said, Hannah. Like it does feel like they really honed in on the fact that this is like a Cold War story, mm-hmm. um, which I. But then I don't know if they really did anything with it. Because, like, you, it is a battle between, yeah, like, the, the communist Russia and uh, hyper-capitalist America. And I mm. think there's something you could really say about that. But I feel like the characters are so, like... <laughs> 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 like, I think especially, like, yeah, Taron Edgerton's character is, is so squeaky clean, like... Mm. I, american idealist that there's just like no like edge to it and i think you would Mm. need a little bit of edge to really be able to say something with that movie which i was gonna talk about just to ask about his performance before we sign up he sounded so much like (laughs) spider-man i I don't know if i've heard him do an american accent before it was very spider-man i I think the problem with this film it was trying to do the 
he's very good. I will say it's a very well acted film. Yeah, mm-hmm. he I didn't was great. Really have he any. Was great. He was I wasn't great. Well, everyone was. Ev- no, no, everyone's great in it. But I think the problem <laughs> is it's doing the cl- it's doing it very tropey situations that we need to have likable characters, heroes, clear heroes and clear villains, right? And even when it was with, within Russia, it was like let's have this corrupt person versus like. We just love our country. And it's like, I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't mm. think it's black and white. And I think they were trying to fill these boxes. And, and it's like, actually, you should just be able to make a movie where you realize it's actually all about, it is capitalist and it's also cons- communism. And it could have been really like far more et- like revelatory if we just owned up to the fact that, yeah, this dude's put his house on the line. He wants this money. He's not like, uh, let's not, I, I, I think that's the, what you're saying about this squeaky cleanness. It's like, no, I just want to help Alexi at this point. It's like, no, you're literally going to go bankrupt. Like, you mm. need this deal going through. Can and we your just... wife is at home being like, fucking stop it, dude. We can just have, <laughs> we normal... have a life, dude. Have a yeah. normal job. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I want the millions, Clarice, the millions. Um, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I completely agree with what you're saying. I think it's a testament to Tyron Edgerton's performance that you're still rooting for that character, even though he is very greedy <laughs> at the sort of heart of it. Um, so really yeah. strong performance. He's, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a good one. He's a good one. <sighs> should have gotten an Oscar nom for Rocket Man. I you should have won the, I mean, the fact that he didn't get an Oscar nom and then dude wins it for Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody still boggles the mind and will forever boggle the mind as will that movie winning for best editing <laughs> what? What? <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. Wow. Unless anyone has anything to say about editing <laughs> Tetris, which I think was better than Bohemian Rhapsody. I will. Uh, I will say this one. One more thing. Lorn Balf is probably the busiest composer working today. He scored Dungeons and Dragons and Tetris, and he's scoring Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. <laughs> in a couple of months' time, uh, the dude is booked and busy, but he's very, very good. Uh, one of the best working today. And this is another sort of really fun score that, again, at times leans into the eight-bit Tetris soundtrack and really. Oh well, yeah, fun it way. uses the Tetris theme, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Can I just say also, you asking why is Tetris? I feel like you ask why do people love Tetris? And I feel like mm. maybe I should say why I love Tetris. What what is it about it? Mm. There is something about like. One, it's the way it keeps on falling. The thing, bricks keep on falling. You're like, you, there's this kind of like adrenaline rush you get from like having to get it in places. And as you get it up, it increases the speed. Mm-hmm. And suddenly like this kind of panics and it's just like your soul constellation. It literally makes your whole body kind of like stress with trying to get in. Mm-hmm. Then it's also a sense of like, creating getting the four block, like creating the perfect, mm-hmm. getting the, this is the kind of feeling of like, like the dopamine hit mm-hmm. of like getting the line in you created, you've met, maneuvered all these pieces mm-hmm. into the right shape. And then suddenly you go that big burst of four. It's like, yes, yes, gone. And then it's, I think it's just, it really just like sends all your body because it's all in your mind. It's all in your head, yeah. but because your head's connected to your nervous system. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of like, it has, it really like feeds this, this urge to create like, I don't know, completionism like completing something completing completing a design making everything fit in Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i think if you're kind of a perfectionist and you like clean lines and stuff like that it really challenges that and so then as you get up when you get the high score when it keeps coming down faster you're just like shit and then something goes wrong and suddenly you're packing your mind and it's just like it's just completely absorbing and engaging and it's not about like 
you know, jumping, anything coming in, you're literally, you're, it's like kind of like you're playing against your own ability to keep calm. Mm. <laughs> which is why i actually don't like tetris <laughs> oh i mean i i completely agree with anything hannah just said this tetris is that rare thing it's a game that's easy to play but hard to master and if you like hannah seemingly and also like myself are perfectionist and you want to get everything just so um then it makes it even more sort of uh entertaining and frustrating in equal measure as well um yeah there was a point when I was playing it, and my dad was like, Have you? Is there like a. Could you compete? Like, yeah. <laughs> Where's the and Tetris I, tournament? <laughs> but then you're like, But then you're like, Oh, I'm literally a 13 year old. Like, I don't think it's like. I don't. I think I'm good for our household. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, this is going to be available on Apple uh, Plus. TV is that what the thing's called? It's Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. I'm sorry <laughs> to the people who own Apple. I got the name wrong. Um, so this is going to be a stream or skit on Tetris, uh, Hannah. Um, yeah, I'm going to say stream, and I think I'm considering some of the stuff that Apple TV Plus. I actually say put this in like I kind of a very entertaining, enjoyable kind of watch. Whether it's mm-hmm. you know exactly right. Maybe do some further research. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Stream and then play Tetris a lot. (laughs) I'm going to go find my Game Boy. I'm like, Mum, have you still got my Game Boy? (laughs) Um, I guess I'm feeling grumpy this week because I skip. No. Um, I guess, but I guess I wasn't a Tetris person. I liked the, the text. What were those where you would type what to do? Word Breaker? Um, no, it was like stories. And there was one where it was Alice in Wonderland and you would tell Alice what to do. Mm-hmm. And the cover art was literally the most fucking nightmarish thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, I think I posted it to Twitter before. It's really nightmarish. I'm getting, um, a, I'm getting a picture of your childhood, Cleese. <laughs> it's <know>. interesting. <laughs> it's weird that I turned out how I am now. That's what I played in some Tetris. Anyways... <laughs> From getting all the little blocks in line to getting your oysters shucked. Is that what you do with oysters? Yeah. (laughs) It's God's creatures. (laughs) Mom? It's different, isn't it? Hornet on Seth. Do you reckon? Mother knows. It's exactly like it was back in the day. So long ago, I wouldn't get hung up on it if I were you. Try to leave a place. Only to find a fault, will you? It is brining. Mother, mother, there's far too many of you crying. Oh, brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm getting believed to this. I swear to God, it's like everyone's an X Factor this week. <laughs> 
Okay, thank you for that lovely intro, Amon. Uh, let's 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 get into it. Thank you, Marvin Gaye. Um, a mother tells a lie for her beloved son that rips apart their family and close knit Irish town, ultimately testing her own sense of right and wrong. Directed by Celia Davis and Anna Rose Holmer, from a screenplay by Shane Crowley, it stars Emily Watson, Paul Mescal, Aisling Franciosi, uh, Declan Conlon, Tony O'Rourke, Mar- Marion O'Dwyer, and Brendan McCormick. Um, I haven't seen this film. Unfortunately, I had so many things to get done this week. Amon's seen half of it. <laughs> 20 minutes. And, and clearly, any first thing. And, and that, that might not be a reflection on the film. It just might be end of the day. Mm. Um, and Clarice has seen it all. So I suppose Clarice will be letting you uh, lead, the, lead the analysis. I am the master of ceremonies. I'm the dungeon master. Oh, there it is. Yes. Okay, so, um, so it... it, it I feel like when I think of like, there's been a lot of um, like Irish drama stuff coming through. God, I want some happiness from Ireland. There seems to be a lot of like, you know, when you think about like Calm with Horses or what is it, The Wonder Belfast. and all these. Other... Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> wow, <laughs> really like that. Film. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 there's a difference between Northern Ireland and Belfast. Isn't it when they differentiate? Because there's Ireland and then Belfast is Don't, considered British. Can right? we not restart the trouble? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose then, yeah. I mean, let's talk about what's the tone on what, what's kind of tone the vibe of this one? Because it, yeah, it seems quite dark. Yeah, sad to say, this one is miserable again. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like if. It's not in the same way as, as Banshees in which I would say this is about, like, the Irish character or, like, it, it's not, it's just set in Ireland. I don't think it's specifically rooted in, like, well, it is rooted in, in like, ideas of labour. So this is set in um, a fishing town where they're, they're collecting oysters, which was cool to see because I don't really know how you get oysters. So <laughs> it was mm. interesting to learn like the process of collecting oysters. Um, and like that is the industry in the town. And so everyone's lives are like centered around it. And there's a point during the movie where um, there's like a, a fungal infestation happening with the oysters. And so they have to absolutely stop production. And it's like so devastating because like that is the one thing this this village is built around um and i think like the movie really uh relies on that sense of like uh claustrophobia almost it's sort of like an emotional social claustrophobia because it's like everything is within this one thing if that makes sense um so yes the movie is sad <laughs> okay so so that you know it's said in the synopsis there's a kind of secret um, is it kind of like a really devastating, like, oh God, is this going to veer into like trigger warning territory about what goes on? Um, y- uh, yes and no. I would say, yeah, I don't want to say what it is because I feel like the movie tries to hold off for a while. Um, but it's to do with Paul Meskel's character. He's was in Australia, moved to Australia, has been away for a long time, and he like surprise comes, returns. Um, and his mother, who's uh, played by Emily Watson, there's like this weird situation where she's like so desperate to to like protect her son, um, but then something comes out about the son. He's not 
I know he's being played by Paul Maskell, but he's not as. <laughs> this isn't mm. After Sun. Paul Maskell, this is a different. <clears throat> different he's not the Messiah. Altogether. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> yeah, so the thing that comes out, um, yeah, I would say is quite a sensitive to- topic, but the movie is very careful about the handling of it. Um, mm. So I wouldn't particularly say has to be a massive trigger warning about this because it's very like it's all about suggestion and conversation you don't really see anything um but i would say like that's the one thing that this movie does really well is like there is this like really like this horrible sense of menace even before you find out what this guy is like um where it's just like the way the camera will zoom in on his face. And I feel like Paul Maskell's an actor like this, he looks, he's really good at keeping a secret like in his mm. face. Cause mm. that was sort of after Sun as well. Like that was his mm. whole performance is that he was really good at hiding things. Mm-hmm. And like the camera will zoom and he's having like, he's just singing a song with his, with his, um, I think his granddad. Um, and it's a really innocent scene, but it's like the way that the camera zooms in on him and the look on his face is like, Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um and then talk to me about that relationship and how uh emily and paul met worked together and you know performed together like do you really get a sense of that um yeah the depth of that kind of bond mother-son bond and the f- like fraughtness of it when they don't live up to your expectation but the maternal instinct to protect in the face of anything I would say yes and no um, because the film is very like austere I would say like it's very I mean I don't know if this is a very deliberate thing because it's like remote Irish fishing town and like I'm from an Irish Catholic family and they don't express their feelings (laughs) so I think it might be like a you know a characteristic of the people but like this is this is a this is about a town where nobody talks about their emotions and so I feel like their relationship is solely expressed like through suggestion like you don't really yeah I don't know if you really get a sense about why she loves her son so much it's more just like a maternal duty in in the film and she just keeps jumping at all these chances to like um protect him and then she has a guilt about that and the guilt eats her up um it's yeah I think I'm like I'm still trying to formulate how I feel about it because I I really liked aspects of it but I think there was something about the story you know where a story just doesn't quite like make it to the finish line emotionally it's like god I just mm-hmm. needed like that extra burst I'm, I'm on I don't I know you didn't finish it but <laughs> <laughs> from what you saw I mean do you kind of I don't know do you agree yeah I mean like one thing I wanted to ask you is like does the pacing get better <laughs> as it goes along because yes I was very very tired and that was in large part why I fell asleep watching this but it also felt like you needed a degree of patience with this story for it to ramp up a little bit um would, would, would that be accurate to say for the full film too yeah I think my issue wasn't so much with the pacing but I think it's because like even though we're talking about a a place where nobody expresses themselves, I mean, that I get, 
mm-hmm. absolutely. But the film doesn't find like another outlet for, and I think the only emotion it keeps on is like menace, and like mm. that's the the whole the through line through the entire movie. And there's no real like nuance to it or like fluctuations. It's just like men. It's menacing and it's mm. it's scary, and I it's oppressive living in a remote mm. Irish fishing <laughs> town. There, it mm. like I I think that's the the thing that wasn't quite hitting for me mm-hmm. you know in the same way that like banshees is about miserable people but like you know there's like graduate you know there's, yeah. <laughs> there's nuances yeah. yeah like i wish you know i mean that's more of a like black comedy but i think mm-hmm. that's a good example of like how you can do irish people not expressing themselves well <laughs> <laughs> so okay then with that uh that in mind uh, Amon, I'm not going to ask you what your verdict is. How very <laughs> dare you. That's fine. <laughs> um, Clarice, is it a screen stream or skip? I would say stream. There's still lots I liked about it, but I think I maybe wouldn't personally take a trip to the cinema to see it. Okay. Cool. Yeah, sorry. There we go. Clarice is just mean today. <laughs> Except for Dungeons but, and Dragons. Like, yeah. The stupid, the silly movie. <laughs> Yeah, have fun. Okay, right. Well, we're finally uh, at, at the last hurdle, uh, the last lap. It's, it's time the for final our... countdown. Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, it's in Tetris. <laughs> so, are we ready to say it? <laughs> uh, it's time for our um, hot day. Hot take, hot take, hot take. Oh, this is actually going to be a quite hot take, but also with a lot of nuance. Um, Yeah, I suppose uh, we kind of want to have a conversation. We might have touched on this before, but given some recent um, uh, uh, things that have come out in the last few weeks uh, concerning Nate Parker, if you remember, he was a filmmaker. He still is a filmmaker, it seems. Um who uh, during the run of The Birth of the Nation, not that one, <laughs> the, the new one, <laughs> um, he has, uh, there was a lot of conversation about um, his uh, relationship to a woman during college. And um, just even though he was acquitted of assault charges, there was a lot of conversation about just prior to the Me Too movement and the way he handled that and, um, conversation, especially after the, his accuser committed suicide, um, which her sister said was because of the shame and the treatment of uh, during that period in college. Um, And of course, um, after the kind of conversation, people not liking the way he handled it, he kind of went away for a few years and he's come, I don't know, it's hard not to call it like a comeback, especially when he has a film coming out. But uh, Washington Post piece kind of talks about how uh, he has been doing the work, as they say, mm. uh, to understand uh, his kind of very quite self-involved response and defensiveness towards uh, people's commentary over the situation with him and his uh, friend during college. But also, uh, yeah, so there's that situation. And then we've had uh, Noel Clark uh, come out recently with an interview with the right-wing blogger, I'm going to call her. Mm-hmm. I think we should reserve journalists journalists to uh, people who actually understand what journalism is. Um, 
he is now going once again, uh, going on the attack and being given a platform to basically call the Guardian investigation frivolous and deny every single accusation against him. Uh, And in an interview that literally did the bare minimum of uh, pushing or trying to kind of push him on certain things that his denials and accusations. Uh, so yeah, the convers- and we're going to leave Jonathan Majors out of this at the moment because it's too fresh and new and we don't know enough situation uh, information about it to even have. But these are obviously two men who have been in the eye uh, recently, who has been a few years since their, you know, the complaints and the stories came out about them. Um, I suppose, Amon, going to you, I suppose the conversation is a lot about there's a, the nuances that when it comes to black men compared to white men, mm-hmm. especially when it's accusing of rape, there's obviously a long history of being false accusations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of people have said that, you know, you know, people are doing the kind of false equivalency thing, but there is, it is fair to say that it is that there might be harsher treatment on uh, black men who do wrong than uh, other white men, though. I don't know. I think two things can be true. People can be, abusers alleged abusers while also uh experience marginalization because of their racial background Mm -hmm. yeah no i think that's absolutely true um you look at what was happening around that nate parker time and casey affleck was also accused of some really bad stuff he went on to win the oscar and nate parker had to go away for a few years um and there's many different examples i can point to things happening around the same time where it's like this went one way and another thing went the other way. Um, so I definitely think there's some truth to that. <sighs> In terms of this question of rehabilitation, it's really difficult. And I don't think we as a culture have really set the parameters of what needs to happen for that to be a thing. Um, and reading that Washington Post article Yes, it could absolutely be construed that this is a guy trying to make a comeback. And even though he gave many quotes saying this is this one has nothing to do with the other. Uh, the Washington Post article does do a good job of at least posing that question, which has to be posed. Um, at the same time, it's there is because because we, we, we were talking uh, about, about this before sort of the uh, press record. And I think it was Clarice, you brought up the question of sort of people feeling safe on set, which is absolutely true. But I would presume that should Nate Parker be given that chance again, the people who would sign on to such a thing would be very aware, very cognizant of that history and would make their own decision about whether or not to be on that set in the first place, which for me goes a long way, uh, into saying, given what everything in that interview said that he's been doing, into maybe seeing what he does with this second chance, should he be given it. With something like Noel Clark, it feels like he's done everything wrong <laughs> once these accusations have come out in terms of not doing the work, which makes me obviously a lot less um, forgiving and a lot less, okay, yeah, give this guy... Yeah, have him back in the industry again. Um, and I think the road to any sort of rehabilitation and redemption for him begins with acknowledging, acknowledgement begins with doing the work, begins with not going 
on this redemption tour. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Clarice? Well, I think, like, the core of the problem, and I'm going to get on my little anti-carceral platform here, is, like, we as a society have not come to any definitive conclusion about, like, what the word rehabilitation means. Because mm. it's like, what you chuck people in prison for, like, I mean, especially for sexual assault, it's like, what, you get, like, a year. And that's meant to be like, okay, now the problem's fixed. Like, we, I think, this question of, like, when can a person who's done this really harmful thing, like, re-enter... Uh, you know, as a like fully contributing member of society again, is never going to be answered until we like really unpack like mm. what our justice system is, and like when somebody is found guilty of doing this, like what mm. are we, what are we genuinely thinking is the next step? Like, is yeah. locking them up? What or like steps of like yeah therapy and coming the root of the problem? Why did that happen? Like, how can this person make the meaningful personality change in which they can come out the other end and go, okay, now, like, we are all confident as a society that this will not happen again. And that, mm. and that the, also the victims in the situation feel confident that the person has, yeah. has you know, made the steps. I, think- I just want to, before we continue, add one thing to that. Um, people have come forward in the case of both Noel Clark and Nate Parker, but neither Nate Parker nor Noel Clark were actually convicted of anything. Yeah, I'm just yeah. talking in, in I, general. I, I, know, like, I, know, but I know, but I just wanted to, um, I think, feel like it was good to clarify that. Yeah, but I think that's the thing. It's like n- none of it matters yeah. until we have an actual system that deals with stuff. But also, we, we've got a system where um, actually when it comes to assault, domestic violence... It's like there's a film we watched. I watched the other day. I watched with Clarice, and there's a bit in it. And not to give, I'm not going to tell you what the film is. So don't give it away. But there's a bit in where a person is being a is in a domestic violence victim, and she looks online to see what is the what is the uh, prison time for someone for doing that, and it's like up to two years. Whereas another thing where it's on drug crimes, it's like up to twenty. Mm. Like we do not take as a culture, as a patriarchal culture that still wants to oppress women. Um, it does not take rape sexual assault or domestic violence seriously um it's not built to do it that way there are many people who come forward with charges and actually most of them don't get across the line because actually it's a really difficult well it's a really difficult thing he said she said situation so Mm. when i hear about what annoys me when i hear people say they weren't convicted it's like yeah of course they weren't because that it's it's the worst thing to get conviction rate over the line not even just even get a case made the statistics are just devastating it's so sad. And this is why people don't come forward. But just to add on to that thing about the Nate Parker stuff, he says in that article, is like, even though I didn't do anything yeah. criminally, and he's very careful about his world, criminally, like there was no criminal wrongdoing. There was moral wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a really good point in the piece where he doesn't actually say exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. He's like, refuses to actually admit what I did wrong. Because one of the things that she said was that there was uh, intimidation. The accuser said there was intimidation by both, she accused Parker and his friend um, when she was on campus and she was not protected. The, 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 the Penn State University actually did an out-of-court settlement towards her when she sued them for not protecting her. So what I find a bit frustrating, it's like, 
okay, if you are aware that you've you've said you've done things that were morally reprehensible, well, what were they? Mm-hmm. Because if you're unwilling to own up to that in a public forum where you're trying to say, I've changed, it's okay, but okay, what have you learned? Because what did you do? And what, what aren't you going to do again? Because actually, if we were a bit more clearer about what he did wrong, then other people who are reading the article, other men, might think maybe that's not how I should behave. Because mm-hmm. if that's the morally questionable thing, let's say it with your chest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I found a bit annoying about that situation. It's kind of like, let's just skirt around the end. It's the vagary of it. And we don't learn about things unless we're specific, I find. And I get it can be really traumatizing for people to see that stuff, but also like literally life doesn't come with a trigger warning. And we can't, we can't I don't want to, you can't be talking about, you know, I've changed, but also talking about his new movie in the same breath and not say this is him not doing, trying to very, very specifically try and media manage exactly what he's saying to say the right thing, but also not say certain things. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of things he said it was off the record as well. It's like, okay. This is the thing. You can't, I think very plainly, you you cannot ask for redemption if you've not actually admitted to the crime. You can't ask for redemption in a public forum. I'm saying this is a very general thing. But But if you're using a public forum to ask for redemption, you need to be public about what you're asking for redemption from. Because tell us. But this is obviously why these people have been alleged of criminal situations will say, I've done wrong, but I am innocent of the charges. Because obviously, if they say, yes, I did it, that can be used in prosecution. So they always... You know, you see, you see that in Shia LaBeouf's response to the allegations yeah. against him. He did exactly the same thing, where he basically said, you know, I'm guilty of things, but I'm not guilty of the thing that you can charge me in a criminal court yeah. for. And it's like, I will never accept that someone has, has done the work until they, they say what, yeah, as you said, that they, and you know what, if that leads to criminal prosecution, well then, there we go. Like that's maybe what you have to do as much as I am like as much as I am anti-castral I'm not like anti having consequences for your actions you know yeah yeah and I think it's important to bring up the Shia Booth and John Bernthal because you know David Oyelowo is not the only only man to try and help his friend get back and John Bernthal at least I would say at least with the Washington Post article there was scrutiny and there was other people's voices to try and get balance with the John Bernthal interview as with the ZZ what's the face Mills interview of Noel Clark there was, there was, it was just, there was no interrogation at all. It was just like, you don't need to platform someone unless you're going to actually scrutinize what they say and actually demand real answers. Um, you know, you're just giving them a platform to basically, you know, whitewash their right and kind of, it's like the apology tour, right? From Bojack Horseman. So I don't know. I, I just, I, I find it, my biggest thing is, um, Sometimes I feel when people are trying to get their careers back in a, I feel like just do a, just do something else because you could have a job. There's people who have been in prison who get jobs doing things, you know, like you don't have to do this very well paid, very public, public job that comes with certain privileges uh, that other people don't get. If you are willing to do the work, then why don't you do things behind the scenes? You know, not everyone gets to, you know, realize their dreams and you had for a moment, you got to make a movie that, you know, some people liked, some people didn't. Um, you could do something else to support your family. You could do something else to kind of like, you know, and also, you know, it's been what, three years? 
2019 since his last movie came out at Cannes where he had like Spike Lee supporting him or Venice. It's like, come back in 10 years <laughs> and let's see the work you've actually, you know. And also I kind of was a bit like, he says the Nate Parker Foundation. Don't put your name on it. I hate when people put their name on things. It feels like very kind of like navel gazy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Grouk Sangay said is like very, God, our favorite word on this podcast, solipsic, solipsic, is it? <laughs> solipsic, I can't even say it. Solipsism, solipsistic. So yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there are too many jobs in the world that needs doing than you having to have a comeback in one of the most overpaid, overprivileged um, industries. Be a lighthouse keeper. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we should that's... do. If someone's been accused of a crime, you become a lighthouse keeper. You yeah. get away from people. This is not me saying that there should not be action. This is not me saying that there should not be consequences for actions, but it's tricky to say that something which they've been working a lot of their life towards, which is sort of their, their dream, as you put it, to just casually shift that aside to um to try and do something else and again there should definitely be consequences for actions they need to do the work but i am not averse to if and when they do that work giving them a second chance at doing what assumedly they believe that they were born to do you know what I mean? yeah but they've already done what they've made like five films like you've achieved your dream of making movies there are people in this world who are trying to make their dream of making movies um whose best mates aren't in the industry um who haven't got the endorsement of spike lee and david Oyelowo, um who have actually not done anything that is even in question about their character of them and who, who haven't done anything morally wrong in their lives mm. and they don't get it so this is my point of course, they can do. They can try it, but like, let's not pretend that he he hasn't had every opportunity to make his film. There are people who make albums that make one album. Look at look at Sinead O'Connor, right? Sinead O'Connor had her entire career ruined because she called out the Catholic Church, and she didn't get to make any more make any more uh, make any really any more movie music, and it fucked up her career. Yeah. Like, I just I I just I'm so bored of it. It's not tricky at all. <laughs> Because they've already made some stuff, but there's plenty of people far more deserving or whatever we consider deserving uh, to have a career in this overprivileged industry. So I don't, I, I it, you know, it doesn't, I do not have any sympathy for someone who's made five movies already. They've achieved their dream and there's plenty of people, there's plenty of women who get to make one movie and never get to make anything again. You know, let, yeah, sorry, that just doesn't, that doesn't work for me, but I appreciate what you're trying to say. I just, mm. I, I reject that. <laughs> I reject it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. My my just my one opinion is like if we don't have an, a genuine system of rehabilitation where which involves, you know, someone who is alleged of the crime to uh, to what well, like I'm just talking hypothetical, so please don't fucking sue me anybody. Mm. You know, that if someone uh commits a crime and is guilty of that crime that they cannot be rehabilitated without saying that they did the crime. I feel like that to me is just like that's why none of these like comeback tours where the statements are very carefully phrased to say I did something wrong but I won't tell you what because I'm not going to go to court like I I just don't buy those statements at all no. I see no value in them um you know and maybe the the first person accused of something who actually stands up and goes yeah I did it take me to court 
then maybe yeah i'll have a conversation about rehabilitation and what they can do in a few in the future of the industry but until that point i just don't really give like a shit sorry <laughs> like you know <laughs> yeah like you can't ask for forgiveness when we you don't what, what are we giving you forgiveness for you know yeah tell me what you've done and then yeah. then i'll do that cool okay well on that hot and spicy note <laughs> uh that's it for this week uh thanks for tuning in and happy viewing by whatever medium is safest for you please subscribe rate and review the podcast it makes a difference and tweet us any questions or hot takes at fate of black pod on twitter um i'm at hannah flint on twitter and at hannah and s flint on instagram and can i just do a quick shout out um because my first film club uh, is back and we have a special screening on April 12th at Picturehouse Central uh, with Nia DaCosta uh, screening her debut film Little Woods uh, joined by Carl Jackson, a short filmmaker screening his uh, short film Independence and both of the directors are going to be down on a night so uh, for a Q&A and then post screening drinks you get a free drink with your ticket £8 uh, or £5 for Picturehouse members hope you can make it Oh, can I do a shout out? Yes um... If you're at Star Wars Celebration, mm-hmm. um, anybody who has tickets next this Friday, the Friday of the day at um, shit, what time is it? <laughs> I think it's <laughs> eleven a.m. is the first panel. No, the one that no, the one that I'm on, the one that oh. me. <laughs> me. <laughs> um, okay, sorry. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> um, Anyone who might have tickets to Star Wars Celebration next weekend, if you are around on the Friday between 6 and 7 p.m., I am doing a panel uh, called The Force Runs Strong in the Family, all about Star Wars, chosen families, and belonging. And I bought a little Grogu coat so I can be Grogu (laughs) (laughs) while I do it Um, and go. Because that's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> uh, I am at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. I have no shout outs to give. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, uh, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to yourself, Amon. Yeah, that's right. Shout out to me. I was going to do Star Wars Celebration and then Chris beat me to the punch, but we will be there, uh, Fade to Black, in some capacity uh, for Star Wars Celebration. So if you. Do you see us? Say Come hi. say hi. Uh, we'll take all the photos. We'll have a nice chat. Uh, you can talk. You can tell me uh, about all the other reasons I should be revoking Hannah and Clarice's Star Wars access. It's going to be fun. Be you fun. can Stop talk gatekeeping about how... Star Wars just because you watch the anime. <laughs> how many comics have you read? Come on. Caravan of Courage is. <laughs> tell me what your favorite comic book, uh, Star Wars comic book. Have you read Thrawn? Have you read uh, Darth Vader in between? I have read Darth Vader. Good. Yeah. Have you read Dr. Afra? <laughs> no, How only you have read Dr. Afra. Do you have a view in the Millennium Falcon? Because I have yeah. like four at this point. <laughs> I'm committed to the cause of flying the Millennium Falcon. Fine, you can keep your badges. There, okay. I said it. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Mm-hmm.